You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your time. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Alex Varallo, and tonight we are going to uh, we're going to fix the Jets' offense. That's what we're going to do. Uh, you know, since Joe Douglas has a lot going on, Alex and I are going to sit down, and w- w- I should say we're going to we're going to attack free agency for Joe Douglas. We're not going to go deep into the draft. We'll talk about spots where uh, we think a starting position may be filled with a draft pick, but we're not going to go into mocks and you know pick specific players. We'll throw some names out there as hypotheticals, but we're not going to go too deep into that. But uh, that, that's basically what the show is going to be about. We're going to fix the offense, and uh, that's, that's how long the show is going to last. If we can fix the offense in three minutes, we'll do a three-minute show. And uh, if it takes 45 minutes or an hour, that's how long it'll take. But, uh, Alex, how you doing? You ready to fix the Jets' offense? Do, doing well. Um, ready to do some pro bono work. Hopefully somebody in this front office is listening to our awesome geniusness that we're about to bestow upon Jet Nation. And because listen, Alex, it's not like right uh, it's wrong. not like the Jets have done enough over the last few years that did uh, we couldn't probably do as well or better than uh, the last couple GMs did. Uh, you know, even though uh, at least one of them one of them got us a quarterback, but outside of that, not a whole lot to write home about. Um, but Joe Douglas, in all seriousness, getting ready for his first off season. Jets fans are psyched up about it. You figure he's got to attack the O line. Uh, for two reasons. One, it's a complete disaster. And two, that's uh, that's going to be his forte. He was an O-lineman, so he's going to understand the importance of the, the O-line. And uh, we think that's where he's going to go uh, early on. But let's So let, let's start off, Alex. Let's set the table here. In terms of spending money. Now, I don't want to get crazy here. But that That's the other thing. Sometimes I see people do mock drafts and mock off seasons and mock this and mock that. And they just... They just Gut the roster. They cut everybody. We're going to have $130 million to spend because we've cut everyone. Like, we're going to try to keep it somewhat sane here. Like, there are some potential cuts that, they, that I see as possibilities, but uh, I'm only going to go with a few that I feel really good about. So we're, we're going to look at it like this, Alex. According to OverTheCap.com, the Jets are currently projected to have $51 million in spending room. 51, 437, 187, if you want to get exact. But $51 million in spending room. So we're going to cut Tremaine Johnson and save $3 million there. We're going to cut Brian Winters and save another $7 million there. We're going to cut Daryl Roberts. That's going to save another $6 million. And we're going to cut Josh Bellamy, and that's $2.25 million. I just feel like $2.25 million is too much for a special teamer, and that's all the guy does. So that frees up another $18 million. If, if my math is right, 18 and a half, then the cap is projected to go up another 10 million this year. So that's 28 million. 28 and 51, according to my math, Alex, is somewhere around 150. Uh, no, no, I wish. It's 80. So we're going to play with 80 million. That's the number we're going to go with. Uh, 
you know, when all said and done, it might be 75, might be 85, might be 90. You can restructure deals. Like, I look at a guy like Avery Williams and Alex, I think he stays. But when I look at the fact that you save $4.5 million by letting him go, and as good as the defense was this year without him, I don't think you can rule out the possibility of letting him go and just keep saying I want to see them let him go. Uh, but we're not going to cut Avery Williamson. Alex, in your mind, is there any – did I miss anyone who is significant? You know, we talked for a minute before we got on the air. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys that you can cut and save six hundred grand, But that's just kind of – that's really just completely guessing. Um, and, you know, like the two guys that jumped out actually were Blake Countess and, and Matthias Farley. Really backup depth guys. Cutting those two would save you another 2.8. But they're not making a ton, so we'll leave them alone. But is there anyone I missed that jumps out at you as like as a guy that you think is, is going to get the axe or is more likely than not to get the axe that we should tack on to that $80 million? Or are you comfortable working with that number? Yeah, I think our our potential cuts were pretty much the same here. Winters, Roberts, um, I had Bellamy, um, Matthias Farley, Blake Countess, and my surprise cuts um, – were Avery Williamson and Jonathan Harrison. So, you know, like you said, there, there's a, there's a way in which Joe Douglas can carve out, you know, and get us into a cap savings or a uh, cap space near the 80 million total. So yeah, we're pretty much on the same point here with the same players that they could part ways with so that they have a little extra uh, money on the table to, maybe make some splash signings this year. Yeah, I think Harrison is, a, is a sort of an outside chance. I think because of what just happened at the center position and the fact he's only making just over $2 million, I think his value is enough to have that sort of veteran presence who, if you know, if you go out, you get a center as a free agent or in the draft, you have that veteran backup. Because uh, you got to have depth somewhere along this line. He could probably play guard in a pinch as well. So I think he stays. Wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't. If he goes, it'll probably be after the draft when they've addressed that need and see what they do um, at the center on the interior offensive line. So, as we said, O-line is the biggest issue. Let's go ahead, and what we'll do here, Alex, we'll go position by position. Uh, some some will be very quick, short answers. Others will be a little bit longer. But uh, you're Joe Douglas. It's draft day or we won't even say draft day. We we might, for some of these, like I said, very briefly touch on draft potential. But left tackle, what are you doing at left tackle? What's, what's your plan A if you're Joe Douglas, Alex? Uh, plan A, uh, that might be possibly restructuring or um, giving a short-term deal to a Calvin Beecham. Uh, I think that that may be uh, one of the easiest ways to – to fill that position. Um, as far as the talent level on the market, uh, there's a couple guys that are probably comparable to the to the skill level of Beecham out there that may be a few years younger. But then you're you're going to be talking about paying probably premium money. So option A may be seeing what you can do and getting some sort of a home discount with Calvin Beecham. I kind of think that they. They really genuinely like him, uh, you know, what he does off the field. And, uh, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. He seems to be like a family man. 
one of the, the the good stories that you know they always seem to write about. He always seems to win those like internal rewards. So I think Calvin Beecham would be Plan A, and then as far as going into like a Plan One B, um, you might be looking to pay someone a little bit older or near the same age as him that would probably be a two, maybe three-year deal. But, you know, do the Jets want to, you know, pay premium dollars for, like, you know, an Andrew Whitworth who's getting toward 40 years old or an Anthony uh, Costanzo uh, from Indianapolis who's at 32 years old? So what kind of deal would you throw him? Two years, maybe three years? Um, will he continue to play at the at a high level? Um, maybe the third option would be like a Brian Beluga from Green Bay, who's 31 years old. So if the Jets look to free agency, they're more than likely going to be paying a vet um, at a premium price. And, you know, do you go with Beecham, who, where you know where his level is at, or do you take a risk on on another player that's a year or two older than him um, that would basically only be a short-term, uh, you know, bridge gap till we find somebody younger and long-term? So that could be something that the Jets may be looking at, um, and I think Beecham might be the option A as far as the left tackle position is concerned. All right, as you know, Alex, I uh, I said a couple weeks ago, I did a, a brief article on it on JetNation.com. I think I like the idea of bringing Beecham back, not not with the idea of him definitely being the starter, but in the event you lose out on a tackle in the draft, if all three of the big tackles are gone before you pick at 11. Um, that being said, and we talked briefly about Mackay Becton, I think that's a guy who is uh, going to be climbing some draft boards and I think that by the time the draft rolls around given his size and his agility if he if he tests out as you know in a way that that matches up with what you see on film I think he I think he enters the picture as a possibility at 11 and I think that protecting Sam Darnold is going to be Joe Douglas's number one priority so with that in mind uh, like I said we're not going to get a ton in today's and I'm not I'm not necessarily saying Becton but one of the one of the top four tackles, ideally one of the top three, but one of the top four tackles, I think, is the plan. Is, if I'm Joe Douglas, that's my plan A. A rookie draft pick starting at left tackle, one of these top elite guys. Becton, I'm not. I mean, if Becton is the pick, I mean, I guess you have to be willing to start him, right? If you want to pick him at 11. But that, that that's what I'm doing. If I'm Joe Douglas, I'm going with a rookie left tackle with pick 11. And if going it now, even though you have some time before the draft, just going into the off season, if I'm Joe Douglas and I'm, you know, you, you get, you hear whispers from around the league, who's looking at what, uh, you filter through what, what you think is legitimate, what's not. If I think there's any chance that I might not get one of the, one of the guys that I feel comfortable with starting, then your plan one is my plan one A. It's resign Beecham. So I'm going to say for these purposes, I'm penciling in a rookie left tackle to start um, with Beecham being the backup plan. And if you if you sign Beecham and then one of those tackles is there, then you just start him at another spot for a year and then you let Beecham go after this season. So that's my plan at left tackle. Uh, and that brings us on to left guard, Alex. Um, 
so yeah, this name's been circulating around a lot. Um, my top priority would to go for the best free agent in the market, which is Brandon Schreff. Um, he is 28 years old, so he's getting toward uh, the back end of his career. But if you really want someone that can help solidify the interior problems that the Jets had last year, that's a good place to start. Uh, you know, we do have some young guys in-house that have some inside and outside um you know, uh, flexibility, but this may be one of those scenarios where, you know, Darnold, his window is, you know, getting, getting a little bit more narrow. We're going into year three, um, experimenting on the offensive line with inexperienced players may not be the best thing for his health and trying to develop an identity on offense. So possibly, you know, getting somebody in that, you know, will, do a good job and protect him. Um, that might be the best bet to do. Um, now there are a, a few other guys out there that that might be of interest that are kind of near the same age. Um, you know, and those players that that come out to me are uh, maybe Quentin Spain, um, who is somebody that I talked about last free agency. Um, looks like he'll be testing the market possibly again this year, um, and then also maybe a, a Max Garcia. So. There, there's some young guys out there um, that are that are getting a little bit older, but you may just want to get somebody solid and consistent that will keep the offensive line honest until maybe we get a mid-round pick that we can develop and have them be ready in a year or two to be a starter. So that might be a good game plan, you know, just to get things rectified quickly. All right, that's not listen, that's that that's not a bad idea because it's all about upgrading this O-line. I'm looking at it, I'm looking at 80 million sounds like a lot, but it can go real quick. That 80 million be gone in a flash uh with with a few big splash signings. So as much as I like the Sheriff idea and I I wouldn't have any problem with it if they end up signing a guy like that, I'd love it, really. But uh for my purposes for this one I'm going to say bring Alex Lewis back, pencil him in as the starter, pencil, because I'm drafting somebody to compete with him for that job and hopefully take it, uh, whether it's a, a Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan or someone like that, uh, Natane Mutai, who you and I have talked about a little bit on Twitter, somebody like that. So <laughs> give, me, give me the vet starter, but he's only holding that job for as long as he can hold, the, hold that draft pick off, and I'm using one of those, you know, deep on the draft here, Alex, but the, the more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm kind of like with those first, with those top four picks, you know, with those first four picks being in the top hundred, the more I think about it, I'm just like, grab, grab three O linemen, just grab three O linemen with your first four picks and, and just rebuild this damn thing and have a foundation in place that allows you to, to compete every week with a good quarterback. So, um, I, I've kind of got and forth on how many picks should be used on the O-line, but I'm going rookie at left tackle. I'm bringing back Lewis, who you can probably get him back for two and a half, three million, because he's a backup-type player, spot starter, and then I'm drafting somebody in the top three rounds or with my top four pick to uh, to take that spot at center or at left guard and to start him along the rookie left tackle. Yeah, and one of the players you had mentioned, um, the Hawaiian sensation, 
and Tani Muti. This guy, uh, you know, a lot of people are a little concerned with his injuries, but uh, he does have experience playing left tackle, and uh, he he can play either guard position. And you want to talk about functional strength and balance and uh, a guy that understands leverage due to a uh, wrestling uh, background um, and competing in the States when he was in high school. Um, this guy knows how to, to throw big guys around, and uh, you can definitely see that on his film when you, when you see him. Um, a lot of guys get eating some dirt, and, and he's belly flopping on top. So got to love that physical nature. I'll always go for those kind of guys that have a little grit, um, you know, all day long when it comes to the drafting uh, aspect. So what do you, what we've covered left tackle and left guard. What are you doing? So let's see. That would give that would leave me with rookie left tackle, and uh, and Alex Lewis competing with a rookie at left guard, and it leaves you with Kelvin Beecham at left tackle, and Brandon Scherf at left guard. What are you doing at center? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we talked about him last week. Uh, I'd be very comfortable bringing in a player like Connor McGovern. Uh, I think that. Uh, at 27 years old, and you want to talk about someone that, um, you know, will give you consistent play, I think that that's a good uh, free agent to target. Um, a lot of the other guys that are out there um, don't really know too much about. Um, and, you know, we've talked to, about certain guys um, coming out the draft. So having a player like Jonathan Harrison behind a player like McGovern um, if something were to happen to McGovern, at least we know what to expect with Harrison. Um, but if you could get somebody, like you said, uh, within that second uh, round pick or possibly one of the third round picks, because we have two of them this year, um, maybe you go for a Lloyd Cushenberry from uh, LSU. Um, I've been watching this kid uh, over the past week and I saw him on Monday night and LSU played a great game and, uh, from everything that I've heard about him, he's a really, really nice kid on the field and, and or off the field, but on the field, um, he's got a little bit of a mean streak in him. And again, those are the kind of guys that, that I'll always, uh, you know, be looking at and, and wanting to have because uh, the, the battles on Sunday um, are lost and won in the trenches. So you need to have guys that, you know, know how to fight and, and dominate players in front of them. All right. Well, we have talked. We both mentioned uh, McGovern last time we 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 touched on this topic, and that that's the uh, that's the direction I'm going. I'm bringing Jonathan Harrison back, and I'm going after McGovern. And I'm I'm get again. The, the toughest part, Alex, is 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 trying to figure out what these guys are going to command, because sometimes you see these guys hit free agency, and it's a frenzy, and you just see guys that you look at and think, okay, well. He's comparable to player X, and that player makes $7 million a year, so he'll be in that ballpark. And then you see a guy get like $11, 12000000 million, and it's like almost doubling the salary of the, uh, the comparable players to them. Um, especially center worries me a little bit because there's, there's there are not a lot of good centers in the league right now. So he might command nope. big money. But, but I'm, I'm going to guess he's around $8 million. Maybe he gets 10 I don't know. But I'm going to say at least eight million to bring in Connor McGovern to start at center. Now that being said, um, if Wisconsin's Tyler Beattis is there, who I've talked about, 
you draft him. And if you've already signed McGovern, well, then one of them plays right guard and the other one plays center. You can play both of them. Yep. Um, and that it's it's not like you're, you're it's not like it's a redundant thing where you're drafting a guy with a premium pick who you have no place for. You make that move. You get you get McGovern, Diaz, and you you play him at right guard, McGovern at center, uh, or vice versa. However you want to do it, and that way you've now got you know Alex Lewis is still in the picture as a veteran, and McGovern can even bump over to the left and 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 bump Alex Lewis, uh, but it gives you some flexibility. And it adds the best center in the draft, in my opinion, the best center in the draft, and a good player in McGovern. So you've really done a lot to solidify that interior O-line by adding those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's the a couple other uh, interior – like a lot of the interior guys, they do tend to, to fall outside, you know, uh, day one and day two. And, you know, they say championships are won on day three between that third and that fourth round. And that could be where you you know you find some of these interior guards and guys that have experience playing center. So uh, getting a guy like McGovern, um, that's kind of your insurance policy in the event that you can't find anyone in the draft or you're just not comfortable going with Harrison. And then um, if you do happen to find someone that that falls into your lap on day two or day three, like Beata's from Wisconsin or. Uh, to Ben, uh, I think it's Nick Bradenson from Michigan or Cushenberry from LSU. Um, you, you could work with them. You could slide them over, um, you know, and then going into year two, possibly move them over into that, that center role. So you have some options and some wiggle room when you bring in a player like McGovern, like you said. Yeah, I think that uh, the, the the guy that you just mentioned um, – out of Michigan, Bradenson is is one of my favorite guys in this draft. Uh, like him a lot along the interior, so that that does bring us to right guard. And and what uh, uh, for for me personally, like I said, draft a, draft a guy to compete there, like Bradenson. And uh, look, looking at the list of free agents, and I only had a chance to watch uh, not nearly as much as I would have liked with some of the free agent guards, but a guy who I like, he missed some of the season with with an injury as Brandon Scherf did, but but you're not spending a ton of money on him, is uh, Greg Van Roten in Carolina. Did a really nice job in pass protection. Not not as good a run blocker as I would have liked, but still a guy who you might be able to get because he's not uh, he's not a guy who's got a, a, a ton of – he's not a guy who's got four, five, six years, good years strung together. He's had himself a couple nice seasons. Looks like, looks like a player on the upswing. And uh, since he missed a little bit of time this year with an injury – that could uh, that could make him that much more affordable. So you bring him in, uh, excellent, you know, one of the better protecting guards in free agency. You bring him in, and again, you you take a, another guard with one of those top, you know, one of those within the first four rounds where you got five picks, and one of them goes to a guard who can compete there and maybe take that spot away. Yeah, and, and you know, there's also. Uh you know, young player in Chuma Doga who we're not sure if he's going to to be the right guy for the right tackle position. So, you know, maybe he might be better suited for a right guard position. So, you know, got to put him in the mix as well to either be a, a flex option in right guard or right tackle. Yeah, that's, you know, Doga I left out of the conversation because I really have no idea what, what the Jets view him as. 
Uh, you know, right. as I've said before, I think, and you, uh, you've said it, a few people have said it, it seems that the biggest thing he's got to do is get stronger. Because technique-wise, he didn't look that bad. I mean, yeah, he got embarrassed a couple times. But listen, when you're a rookie who's That's not ready to play yet, you're going to go out there and get embarrassed. It's going to happen. So, you know, he's not, not everybody's Jonathan Ogden. So, Edoga is a guy that could be, you know, as I said, I said when he was drafted, I projected him as a left tackle. I know that he was, he was, uh, he was his, his NFL dot com. It was either NFL or his PFF somebody. Their pro comp was Kelvin Beecham. So he's got the technique to be a decent enough left tackle. I just don't think he did enough for the Jets to say, okay, we're set at left tackle now. So now if, when you draft that tackle at 11, that puts Adoga in a spot where do you look at him at guard? Is he, is he nasty enough on the inside? Is he enough of a mauler to be a guard? I would look at him. I'd look at him at left. You know, I mentioned Alex Lewis. Listen, we all know training camp rosters are at 90. Teams carry 15, 16, 17 old linemen, and they let them compete. And Adoga is going to be in the picture, and he may may go out there and win a damn starting job for all I know. But uh, going off of what we saw last year, having no idea uh, what the work ethic is like, you know, sometimes, sometimes guys change a little when they go from college to the pros. But assuming he puts in the work, assuming he gets stronger, I think he's absolutely in the picture for a starting job uh, on the interior if the Jets give him a look there. But going off of the fact that, as I said, I, I projected him as a tackle. A lot of outlets projected him as a tackle. I think that's where he gets where he gets a look. But I could see him being a guy who ends up as a backup. I mean, unless the Jets really feel, unless the Jets are 100% confident that he's going he's gonna to come back strong enough, Maybe they already view him as a guy that, you know, hey, it might look like on paper like we need a right tackle, but we think if this kid gets stronger, we'll be fine there. So we're not going to spend big money or premium picks on a right tackle. So we'll find out. But uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out Chuma Doga, you know, finding a way to win a job. Yeah, absolutely. And if I had to, you know, make a decision and and go to free agency for the right tackle position. I, I think my number one guy to target, and we spoke about him last week as well, uh, Jack Conklin from Tennessee, you know, 26 years old. So he's right in that, you know, getting into his prime window. Um, it's young enough to where you could get a four to five year deal. And then you, you fill up your right side. Um, but, you know, I was trying to look at market value and seeing what average right tackles make, and, and it's really all over the place, to be quite honest with you. But I think Sports Track had him valued, market valued, at $15 million per year. I'm not too sure if I'd be comfortable paying $15 million a year for, for a right tackle. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably be more comfortable throwing that kind of money at uh, Brandon Treff. But if you can maybe get him between 10 to 11 maybe capping at $12 million, um, I might be more inclined to looking at a Jack Conklin like that, or, or maybe you get, you know, lucky with a Jermaine or Freddie or something like that, um, who's right in that 26 um, years old window as well, and, and maybe you can find him for between that 8 to $10 million. I, I'm just kind of I, – I'm just not crazy about spending big double-digit uh, contracts on on guys that other teams are very comfortable parting ways with because that that just says that you know there's something that they didn't feel that they needed to invest you know premium money into so 
why would we spend big time money on on somebody else's throwaway? So those are things that you know you have to kind of factor when you're when you're looking at these guys with their age, their skill set, their talent, and you know will it be worth spending that kind of money on on a guy like that and not giving a a young prospect like Shuma Doga the chance in year two and say, you know, you're coming in to the same system, NFL regiment, getting, you know, eating those peanut butter sandwiches every night before you go to bed to put on a little weight and muscle, you know, who knows? Maybe Chuma Doga can, can turn things around from year one to year two. It's happened with other guys before, so you can't rule that out. That, that would be ideal for if they feel, uh, if they feel Adoga will be ready to play right tackle. But uh, but in staying consistent, Alex, of course you're saying you don't want to spend big because you're letting a guy walk, but at the same time spending big on Brandon Scherf, a guy who another team is letting walk. Um, right. I think, I think listen, sometimes teams either make bad decisions or they just they feel like, uh, you know, they kind of set a dollar value on a given position and they say, well, we're not going over – X amount for a right tackle, for a left guard, whatever it may be. Uh, and sometimes they just don't have the cap space, uh, you know, depending on who else. You know, if you got a bunch of guys hitting free agency, the, the general consensus seems to be that Conklin will hit free agency. And with that in mind, that's actually – because you'll notice as I was doing this, I thought, well, people are going to kill me because I'm, I'm kind of pinching pennies here, you know, and which I am, but I'm not. I'm, I'm investing uh, – I'm, I'm finding veteran starters, quality starters, at least, you know, my plan is, is, is the stud left tackle in round one, then left guard and center and right guard, all three veteran players with draft picks who can step in and start at some point. Um, but I haven't really spent big anywhere yet, but that is where I'm spending big. And I am, I'm saying 14, 15 million a year, looking at what other right tackles are making, and taking into account the fact that the way free agency always tends to go in every sport is the best player at whatever position becomes sort of breaks into that top three of the highest paid at that position or top five or whatever. And uh, according to over the cap, the top two tackles in the NFL right now in terms of salary, Lane Johnson of the Eagles and Trent Brown of the Raiders, 18 million and 16, five respectively. So I'm going to have mm-hmm. Conklin coming a little bit behind that at 15 million, and uh, and let's not forget the, the problem—not problem, but but something that I've I've seen people criticize when a fan says, "Oh, we signed this guy, this guy, and this guy. Oh, that guy's going to want 20 million a year, and this guy's going to want 11 million a year." Well, th- there's ways you can structure these uh, these deals. I mean, right. if you bring Conklin you do on bonus board, money and it doesn't count. And, not cap, even bonus so, money, because yeah. the bonus money, you know, the guaranteed money, that's all going to be prorated, and that's going to be equal throughout every year, no matter what. But it's in base salary, where you can say to, to, to a guy like Conklin, listen, man, um, your guaranteed money is going to be, let's say, just throw out a number, let's say $40 million is what you're going to be guaranteed. Um, so that's going to go out over the life of the contract. Year one, your base salary is only going to be $2 million. Um, but your your deal is going to be structured in a way that you know we're not getting rid of you before year three, and so you're going to make two million in year one, and then the following year your base salary is going to be ten million, and then with your bonus, like as long as the money is there, and the guarantee that that guys are worried about the guaranteed money, if the guaranteed money is there, guys will take it, but then there are ways you can structure the deals to kind of ease that cap hit in year one, so maybe. 
instead of, you know, because you look at the Jets' current cap situation, as I mentioned, you know, what is it, $51 million before they make any moves, you know, again, per over the cap. But then you go into the following season, and, and there are other – there will be other contracts expiring that that massive Tremaine Johnson cap hit will be gone because that's going to be accelerated. It, it's going to be a $12 million hit this year. That alone, once that's off the books next season, that's another 12 million. So you can structure deals in a way where the money is small in year one and then gets significantly bigger in year two, but it's more manageable because there's more space because some of these contracts that you took a big hit on are gone. So you you can bring in a guy like Conklin, you can pay him whatever you're going to pay him. You can take a huge cap hit in year two, ease the cap cap hit off a little bit in year one. So you can get creative and make it so that the 80 million stretches that much further. So that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm taking Conklin. I'm giving him around 14, 15 million, and uh, that would for me that would put my spending at around 26 million, meaning still plenty money to, plenty money left over. It's still still 54 million to spend. And the offensive line is pretty much ready to go with some veteran starters and and some quality, hopefully some quality draft picks behind them to to groom over the next couple of years to take those jobs eventually. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think I I would be comfortable um, as you know having those personnel, those guys you know worked into the deal here and. Um, you know, hypothetically, it would be a, a, a big improvement from what we saw this past season. And uh, here's what's interesting, you know, because, you know, as you were talking about Brandon Treff, like kind of like letting him go, um, Washington is just in a really, really bad position. Um, salary yeah, cap-wise. like I said, sometimes I teams forgot, make bad decisions. Alex Smith's contract has got to be killing him at this point in time because if they were to cut him, they would be giving him $32 million to walk away. And, and that's got to hurt because uh, they invested a lot of money in him to be their franchise quarterback. And then they had to go utilize a draft pick. So they already have a couple young guys in there and, you know, they have the Trent Williams situation. So, you know, it just kind of seems like they've got a lot of their money tied up right now. And as far as their offensive line is concerned, they're going to have to part ways with one or two of their best linemen and, and probably go hunting into the draft. Um which kind of, you know, a lot of people have said that they were, it was sure for thing, you know, no, we're trying to stay away from the draft tonight, but to go for like a Chase Young, but it could be more likely that they go for an Andrew Thomas and then, you know, that'll be their best way to replace Trent Williams. And then they'll have to get let go of maybe Shreff um, if they can't find a way to, you know, make some savings elsewhere. So, you know, I think it would be an absolute home run if the Jets could walk away with one of the top tackles and one of the top guards in free agency. And like you said, um, let's see what the draft has to offer um, as far as, you know, the long-term uh, fix for this offensive line. All right, so with the O-line repaired, Sam Darnold needs some targets. Robbie Anderson's a free agent. Demarius Thomas is a free agent. And uh, beyond that, what you know, what do you got? You got you got Crowder, you got Berrios. Uh, n- not a whole lot there to work with. What do you what are you doing here, Alex? How are you attacking the wide receiver position in free agency? Yeah, and you know you have to hope that uh, there's a player and that uh, we haven't seen much of the last couple of years in Quincy and Unwell. You know, we just don't really know what's going to happen. Um, 
he's got spinal stenosis, and that apparently is some sort of disc um, injury or, uh, you know, he's got a deficiency in, in one of his discs in his back. So you never know when that can reactivate and it, he could get hurt not even, um, you know, drawing any contact apparently. Uh, so it would be interesting to see how his health is uh, progressed from, from last year to this year and whether or not if he's willing to put his life on the line to come back to this, you know, grueling sport. So Enunwa will probably have a big factor on, you know, who they go to target, how much money they're going to look to spend at the wide receiver position. Um, you know, if he's coming back, they may not spend as much. Um, you know, this is a very talented draft and it's very deep with the wide receiver position. So, you know, just looking at it from that perspective, um, you you might find younger and uh, better replacements in the draft than you would free agency. But if, you know, if you have to go out there and you have to spend some money, um, you know, we, we exercise the idea of a, a player in Amari Cooper, uh, but his value might be, you know, astronomical and, you know, the Jets are not in a position where they can be offering anywhere from 16 to 18 to $20 million for a wide receiver. As great as it would be to have, you know, a legit number one wide receiver for Sam, um, I think there's plenty of evidence to show that there are high-profile profi- wide receivers on teams right now that are not competing in the playoffs. Um, you know, you think about players like Tampa, who has Mike Evans, um, those guys are worlds away from seeing the playoffs. Um, Atlanta, yeah, they were in the Super Bowl a few years ago when Julio Jones is one of the best wide receivers in the league, but they haven't been relevant. Um, so sometimes you can do more with less um, and, and not spend as much. But if you are going to be looking to target some guys, um, I think the best option would be to you know bring a player like Robbie Anderson back Um we're not going to get a hometown discount. Uh, I think that that's been pretty evident. Uh, but that would be my number one option um, to start. Um, we talked about Demarius. Um, if the deal's right, I'd be comfortable with him. Uh, but looking at this list of a couple other guys that seem intriguing, um, I know we had mentioned off air about, you know, A.J. Green. Uh, I think he's very talented. I, I just think that what he's going to ask in the contract is too risky. Um, you know, your best ability is availability, and he has not done that in the last two years. So that would that would definitely concern me. Um, but there, you know, there's there's interesting guys floating around like Philip Dorsett. You might get a cheap deal with a player like that. Um, I like Josh Gordon's skill set. I'm not sure where his mind is, and he just seems to continue to to stumble every year. Um, you know, I feel for that guy, uh, addiction issues, um, you know, having inner demons, that's a very, very serious thing. And he might be too much of a risk to go for as well. Um, to be quite honest with you, I, I really don't, I'm not crazy about the free agent market with the wide receivers this year. I would not want to prioritize and spend majority of my money, um, in that particular position. Um, so it would be, what can we get with Robbie Anderson? And if we can't do that, um, I would clearly be looking at the draft and, you know, seeing who, how the summer plays out and, you know, who sticks and who doesn't stick on the roster. 
um, with other teams and, and, you know, maybe, you know, scoop somebody up and, and see what you can get. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think for me personally, I'm, I'm bringing Robbie back. If you got to give him his $12 million or his 13 whatever it's going to take, you get him back. You have a guy who's got some chemistry with the quarterback, who's a proven deep threat, absolutely no-brainer. As we've said, you know, receiver-rich draft. So I'm grabbing a couple receivers. I'm grabbing at least two. Maybe grab one early. And then, listen, you might get a good one in this draft. You might get a good one in the sixth or seventh round. Um, or, or draft, look, draft one in the, in the second. Like I said, I think for me at this point, my mindset is top four picks, give me three O-linemen, and that fourth pick probably be a receiver, and then give me one more receiver at some point in the draft. And let's not forget, Alex, that, that you know, we're probably going to see a trade or two, uh, you know, move down somewhere because they're going to want to add picks. But of course, we're, we're just we're just going off of what, what they've got to work with now. But I'm 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 bringing Robbie back. I'm drafting at least two receivers, and then I look at a guy like maybe a Brashad Perryman, six four, great speed, finished the season strong in Tampa Bay when they had some injuries at receiver and he had to step up. Finished the year with 650 yards and six touchdowns, um, 18 yards a catch. So I think Brashad Perryman might be. And and the thing is with these veteran guys. These veteran receivers who aren't sort of upper echelon game breakers, because of this strong draft class, they're not going to have a lot of leverage at the negotiating table. If you're a mid to upper tier receiver or even a a middling sort of, which is what a lot of this class is, you know what, Randall Cobb, or he had 728 yards, but he's 30, right? You're not giving Danny Amendola money, 34 years old. Perryman, as I mentioned, I like him the age. He's 26, good speed, 650 yards, one of the better options out there. You're not going to have a lot of leverage if you're a receiver coming to the table right now. So you might get a Brashad Perryman for $4 million a year, $5 million a year. That's not a ton of money. So then you got Brashad, you got, you got Robbie, you got Crowder underneath, you got two new draft picks to bring in and work with. And, I mean, a guy like A.J. Green, by all means, give him a call. See what it's going to take. You're coming off a major, major injury. You know, I don't know how much a guy who just missed an entire season, a guy in his 30s who just missed a full season with a an ankle. From that a was, 2018 what, injury. And, and, and what was it? It was like week two or three, and they said, oh, yeah, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And he missed and the he rest of the year. Back. I don't know. Yep. I don't know how much you could realistically expect to get. So for the right money, sure, bring them in. Why not? But otherwise, you know, I'm going with the guys I already mentioned, and there's not a lot else out there. You know, you mentioned Philip Dorsett had just under 600 yards last year. I mean, one guy that, God, he struggles with drops, but game-breaking speed, Nelson Aguilar. I don't know what he's going to be looking yeah. for, but. He has so many drops that it just worries the hell out of me. I don't know that, that he's a guy you can... with the ties with Philadelphia, with Joe Douglas, that could be somebody that I could see him actually going after. Um, it could be, but I don't think Douglas is there when they draft know, him. But it, again, I'm really not going to be like, you know, knocked off my feet with that kind of signing. And right now yeah, you're looking he... at one player that has over 1,000 yards on this free agent list, and that's Amari Cooper. And he's going to, yeah. you know, 
he's he's going to ask for too much money. Probably he is. You know, I'm I'm not, I'm not spending nineteen twenty million dollars on on any receiver at this point. Um, quarterback money, you know, we got to save that for Sam. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, so so that that's where I'm at. Give me Robbie. Give me Perriman. Give me a couple draft picks, and maybe another sort of mid-level guy. And then, of course, you know, undrafted free agents and stuff. All that stuff will work itself out. So that's a receiver. Now at tight end, to... what's that? I was saying, get some sort of Reiki healer to you know somehow heal Quincy and Unwin. You know, we'll have less problems in that department. Yeah, I think I mean I I like Quincy Nunwa, so I'm such a big fan of his that I hope he retires. I honestly do. I mean, come on. Man. I hate to see him get hurt again. Yeah, that would that would really, exactly. really be detrimental. Just, yeah, you got enough money to have a nice life. Go be a sports psychologist. You have your brain. Kick ass at that. <laughs> exactly, and just to, to like like look re- at like, like by he all just accounts, hung it up at 28. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! You know, the guy but wants yet, to remember these days he doesn't want his brains to be applesauce you got to respect that yeah absolutely absolutely i have no uh no no criticism of, of that at all um and it's you know it's a shame great player and uh and quincy you know look like i said love the guy uh he was one of the first players i interviewed when i started writing for jet nation uh really down to earth and I, I just think he should hang it up um not because i don't think he's a good player but i, I just think the injuries are going to take their toll over time, so uh, I'm not. I would like to see him just go and be a sports psychologist. Um, but tight end, is there even a need to discuss this? Honestly, uh, you're only going to carry three or four. You know, you've got Herndon coming back. You know, you've got Griffin coming back, and uh, and I would imagine Wesco makes the roster again. I mean, it, listen, Wesco didn't light the world on fire. It's entirely possible. They look at a guy who they can get in the sixth or seventh round that they like better than Wesco, but uh, I'm I'm standing pat with the, with the three guys they have. I like them. I mean, sure, bringing a developmental guy, practice squad type, absolutely. But I'm not drafting a guy, and I'm not I'm going I'm not going uh, all crazy in free agency looking for a tight end given what they have now. I, I think I think we uh, I think we were told that Adam Gase was a big fan of David Fells, who I believe is going to be a free agent. So maybe you bring him in. But uh, I'm not really doing a whole lot there. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, clearly from my uh, Twitter uh, tweets and stuff like that about Westco, um, I'm really hoping this kid um, just becomes like an absolute dominator as far as the run game and pass protection. And he's such a big body guy. I, I'd love to see what you can do when you get him in space. So, um, and. You know, Griffin surprised us. Um, I think he had a career season high with whatever, you know, nothing too crazy or impressive. But I just kind of feel that, like, when you look at all the tight ends across the league, you're probably looking about maybe five or six guys that you would, you know, put an elite tag on. And then everyone else just kind of falls within the same kind of category. They're between that four to 600-yard range. And, you know, if you can get a handful of touchdowns from them, they're pretty much a successful tight end in this league. And, you know, you look at what we saw in Herndon his rookie year and you saw what Griffin did last year. And you want to talk about running, you know, two tight end sets, three tight end sets. I'm very comfortable with the guys that we have in house. And I just kind of feel that that's a position we don't have to worry about. Yep, absolutely agree. And that brings us uh, last but not least to running back. 
you know, I was really big on the fact that I thought Le'Veon Bell would be gone this offseason. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not saying I would rule Tony it out. Pauline's putting his articles out there saying they're ready to part ways. And I remember the last oh, I, time he had to be I, I on, hadn't, a, on a hot story and everyone refuted it and he ended up being right. So, yeah, I, I hadn't seen there. that story, but, but, um, yeah. just based on just looking at the money, um, looking at, you know, the, let's see, 19 million in dead money if they let him go. Nah. And then, and who wants to take cap, on that net, contract? Cap, That's the other thing. Cap, what's that? Who wants to take on that contract? Well, that, after that's what the they thing. just saw from this past the year. Jets are, the, the Jets are going to have to pick up some of that contract if they want someone to take them, and it's already minus three and a half million on the cap, which really is a shame because looking forward to next year, uh, if they cut them next year, it's a cap hit of four million, and they save nine and a half million. This year. It's a cap hit of nineteen million, and and they lose another three and a half million in cap money. So there's no savings. It's negative three and a half million. So it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think you pull Adam Gase into his office and say, uh, any chance you can figure out how to use this Hall of Fame player in your offense? Yeah. Um, to which Adam Gase may not have an answer, but. Um, I, that is such a bitter pill to swallow, but I do think Adam Gase is a lunatic, and I think he might. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think he might insist that they trade Le'Veon Bell, or he won't let himself out of his office. So we'll see and, what happens. That's what's interesting is because you look at that, and then the only running backs you have under contract at the moment are Trenton Cannon. And we don't know where his injury um, situation is. We assume he's going to come back healthy, but. And then you have the UDFA who was put on the IR very early in the game, and that's Jalen Moore and somebody we touched upon after, um, you know, last April. Um, and those are the three guys that are currently in-house right now. So if you are going to be trading, that means that they're either going to be prioritizing this in the free agency um, and spending, you know, uh, another splash player. Um, like they did last year, or they're going to have to put this in as a as a day two or a day three priority uh, coming into the draft, and and that may be detrimental as as far as you're trying to catch up because it seems like you're moving backwards to kind of try to get back into the same position that you're in, um, and I don't know if that is is progression to be quite honest with you. So running back position is very interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, fans may not want to hear it, but given his low miles, I would have no issue bringing Bilal Powell back as a backup uh, to whoever you're running back. But but I'm going to assume – I don't know what the hell to assume, honestly. There's a part of me that looks at these Le'Veon Bell numbers and says there is no way he's gone. But then there's a part of me that goes, oh, that's right, Adam Gase is a maniac. Uh, Le'Veon Bell might be gone. And, I mean, listen, they entertained trade offers for him during the season when the cap hit wouldn't have been any better. So I I think I'm, I'm, I'm wavering back and forth here. But if I, if I had to guess, I would say – I would say Le'Veon's gone. Because you know what? For, for just a split second there, Alex, I, I'd forgotten about the Adam Gase presser with uh, would you like Le'Veon back. Uh, I don't know if I want Le'Veon back. Ask Joe Douglas if I want Le'Veon back. Uh, that's pretty much, I don't want Le'Veon back. So I think they're going to take the enormous cap hit. Uh, 
well, the dead money hit, I should say. If they do that, if if they let go of Le'Veon Bell and cut Tremaine Johnson, that is thirty-one million dollars in dead cap money. Thirty-one million dollars you're spending on zero players. That's absolutely insane. Um, but I, I think it happens. I think they, I think they get whatever they can for Bell, third, fourth rounder, and uh, and go from there. But uh, man, we'll uh, we'll see how that shakes out. And then if they do, well, obviously this, they're not obviously, be going after players like Kenyon Drake, who will be a free agent yeah, next year. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, they'll they'll have to go for some uh, some free agents. Um, I mean, you know, do you want a, a you don't want a thirty three year old <clears throat> excuse me you don't want a thirty three year old Lashawn McCoy. I suppose Carlos Hyde would might be out there. Um, I mean, Frank Gore's gonna average four yeah. yards to carry till he's fifty five years old, but he's not coming because he doesn't like Adam Gase either. Um. Austin Eckler would be a guy that I would be intrigued with. Um, I like his receiving ability a lot. Um, very versatile in that aspect. Uh, Chargers would probably be pretty stupid to let a guy like that walk. But, you know, people, you know, this is, is the area where running backs are not valued. So, uh, yeah, according to Sports Track, he is 25 years old and he is a free agent. Yeah. What what type of free agent? And there's Melvin Gordon too, but Melvin Gordon is near the same age as Le'Veon Bell, and he's going to be looking for probably a fifty to sixty million dollar deal. So you're just kind of interchanging one high profile, um, expensive running back near the back end of their career for another one. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I know the the homer <laughs> inside and, and the fact that I was pounding the table for Le'Veon Bell last season. Um, that's well, why, who why wasn't, I, really? I'm hoping and wanting him not to, to be dealt. Um, but, you know, clearly we have a crazy head coach. We may have a logical GM that might be able to talk him off the ledge and, and say, look, man, if, if you want to save grace with this, this fan base and this team and everything like that, you got to figure out a way to get, uh, 26 back to those elite numbers and, and find a way to get him into that, you know, 15 to 1600 yard total all purpose yard category again, because if you can't do that, you know, Adam Gase will be looking for a new job in 2021. Yeah. Or look, even just get him to where he's, you know, not a waste of a roster spot. Cause that's basically what he was this yeah. year. Uh, didn't use him as a receiver, average three yards a carry or whatever it was, 3.2. Um, so yeah, get, rebuild the old well, line. Well, I mean, 311 touches in 15 games, which is an average of 20 touches a game. And I wouldn't say that that's completely underutilizing him. And, you know, he had no, 66 as receptions as well. But I mean, did we maximize the potential? Absolutely not. No, but, they didn't. They didn't. He, he didn't. He didn't line up in the slot. He didn't. He didn't do the. You know, I, I've thrown the number out there a million times. His last year with Pittsburgh, he lined up in the slot 77 times. He gave defenses something to think about, and he was a weapon out of the slot. And you would think that when you have a guy who can do that and you're averaging three yards a carry, you just go, all right, what's that other thing he's really good at? Maybe we should try him there. Um, Adam Gates right. never got to that point, though. Uh, he had a bunch of receptions, but it was mostly swings and screens. We didn't see him trying to beat linebackers or safeties over the middle, uh, you know, try to create some mismatches. I forget what week it was, 
They lined them up out wide on the first play of the game. He made a fantastic one-handed catch deep down the field. Never saw that again. Uh, Yeah, so that that kind of Adam Gase was like, oh, wow, he can do that. Let's never do it again. Um, So that's what I mean. Like, yeah, the touches were there. But, yeah, he had 300 runs right up the middle and uh, and caught a bunch of screen passes. Uh, That was about it. If they can get a little bit more creative, uh, run them out of the slot, line them up wide, and, and again, hopefully this year, or, you know, the goal this year is to, is to fix that line and get him moving again if, if he's back. But I think that covers it, Alex. I'm curious about our projections or predictions going into the year because I think that we were somewhere around the 350 touch mark, I want to say, that we didn't want him to go over 400, but we were comfortable around the mid 300. Uh, yeah, I have to go back yeah. and, and give that show a listen. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, I think I was kind of, I think I was kind of hoping. I, my project, I was expecting somewhere around sixteen to seventeen hundred yards all purpose, and I think he ended up somewhere around thirty, twelve hundred, twelve fifty. I think it was actually twelve fifty on the nose. He was around eight hundred and change, um, with a with a rushing total, and then I think he was right around like four hundred and change. Actually, might have been under 800 yards um, rushing. But I know well, around listen, 1250 in my head. If Joe Douglas is listening and the Jets do any of the things we told them to do tonight, I'm, I'm comfortable saying we have fixed the offense, Alex. Next week, we will fix the defense. Not that it needs a lot of fixing. Seventh in the NFL, despite all the injuries, Greg Williams. Um, so tune in next week, folks, when we fix – the Jets' defense having rebuilt the offense top to bottom this week on Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Alex, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle. Uh, at NYJetsLife24. Thanks for stopping by, Jet Nation. All right, Jets fans. Thanks for tuning in. Catch us next week when we rebuild the defense. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!